Welcome to Factum Agri, dedicated to New Zealand's primary industry. Each week, I talk with farmers and producers, industry, the science community and policy makers to hear their stories and expert opinions on matters relevant to both our rural and our urban communities. This week I have an interview I did a while back with Brent Clothier, who is the Principal Scientist at Plant and Food Research. He fills me in on some of the work he has done around integrating horticulture into sheep and beef farming systems in the North Canterbury region. Let's have a listen. Hello Brent, thank you for talking with me today. Hello Angus, how are you? Really well, thank you. Please tell me a bit about the work that you do. Okay, I'm a, I'm a scientist with Plant and Food Research, uh, Crown Research Institute, and primarily I'm a soil and water scientist, and uh, my interest goes broader than just the soil and the water. It goes into climate change and into land use, and also specifically into uh, land use options now and into the future where we could do different things with our land. I understand a horticulture suitability assessment has been undertaken across areas of North Canterbury. Yes, that's correct. This is part of a uh, a job that we're doing with Beef Plus Lamb. It's a it's a project where um, after the Kaikoura earthquake, they all got shook up, um, and so they sort of said, "Well." Do we have to go back and do what we've always been doing? Are there new options? And through Beef Plus Lamb, there was several threads of work there, some around forestry, some around ecotourism. And the one that I'm working in, because of my background in horticulture, is looking at what are the options for horticulture um, in, in this area? Not turning sheep and beef farms into orchards, but adding orchards to sheep and beef farms, for example. So having a diversified patchwork of of horticulture across the landscape, does that add resilience? Does that add higher value to land use across this area? And primarily, is it possible? I guess um, my next question um, has partly been answered, but what is the purpose of this horticulture assessment in North Canterbury? Well, I, I think at this stage, um, we, we have done a, a, an assessment and, and we did a, a first assessment was the, the, the main area of uh, Kaikoura from Kekaringu in the north um, down through Peninsula Kaikoura through Conway Flat into Cheviot and across into the Colverton Basin and the Inland Road. So that was done there. And that's about, that's about half a million hectares of, of, of land in there. And we had a look and said, actually, there's about 42,000 hectares inside there, about 10% of the land that could be possible for horticulture. We have extended that, Beef and Lamb asked us to extend it um, up into the area of Ward um, between sort of Seddon and the coast. There's the Ward area there. And we've done an assessment there and we found that within that area around Ward, um, there's another 2,000 hectares of land that could be suitable for horticulture. Interesting. I'm quite interested in different soil types and climatic differences within the region. What crops have you found to be suitable in which parts of North Canterbury? Obvious ones for me and others are grapes and wiper and ward, for example. Sure. Yep. Um, so there, there are already existing um, at the bottom around um, around uh, Cheviot. The, the, the grapes are moving north from, from Wipera. 
and so yes, grapes uh, are moving north, and, and and many of those areas you can see where grapes are growing on north-facing slopes with good cold air drainage. So that's that's interesting, and also there are some grapes on the Kaikoura Peninsula, and indeed in the area around Ward. So that is good. But what we've also had a look at uh, beyond grapes is apples, hazelnuts, walnuts, um, olives avocados, kiwi fruit, hops, hemp and CBD cannabis, um, and blueberries. Now, uh, uh, these are what we have had a look at and we have found that some things are not suitable. For example, it's not generally uh, warm enough for avocados, although there are some coastal pockets where avocados are grown and with good management uh, around irrigation and uh, frost control, they can grow. Blueberries, it seems a little bit too cold for um, blueberries in summer. And um, kiwi fruit, it's a bit cold for kiwi fruit and also avocados. Mm. But all the others seem to be pretty good. Mm. It's very interesting. Are you finding traditional farmers are becoming increasingly interested in horticulture options in the region? <laughs> Yes, yes. So after we've done our desktop exercise where we've looked at the climate and we've looked at the soils um, and, and we've looked at the slope of the land, the frost-free period and the what's called the growing degree days, the warmth, uh, we have also um, had a look and, and talked to farmers and held meetings. And so that's really been very interested. There is a, a, a significant amount of interest for a variety of reasons around horticultural options. We've had meetings in Kaikoura, in Spotswood uh, near Parnassus. Uh, we've had a, a meeting in Colverdon where we got over 60 people uh, come to the rugby club to hear what we're doing and we've had meetings in Ward and over and above that uh, I've been out and interviewed farmers and there's, there's although you don't see it Below the radar, there is there are pockets of, of horticultural enterprises already existing there. Um, and then over and above that, uh, people would say, well, Granny planted these apple trees behind the homestead and they're growing very well. So we've had a look and, and seen where indeed there are there are sort of home blocks of, of orchards as well as um, some some developing enterprises around nuts, avocados and grapes. Is there any evidence that climate change is providing different land use opportunities such as horticulture? It's hard to work that out because if we think about uh, climate change and how we adapt to climate change, there are generally considered three levels of climate change adaptation. You have the tactical, which is doing the same things you've been doing, but doing them in a slightly different way. You know, the, the grass starts to grow a bit earlier and, and, and things happen a, a bit earlier. So that tactical change is something that's hard to detect because it's sort of just happening slowly. Then there's strategic uh, climate change, and that's a little bit of what we're looking at here, you know, is, is are the changes over and above doing um, the, the things you normally do, doing some different things. Um, irrigation might be one of those those kind of strategic adaptations. And then the other one that we're looking at is transformational um, adaptation to climate change, where you do something completely different. And that's, I suppose, the, 
the goal of this project to see what is the transformational opportunities for horticulture across post-quake Kaikoura. One of the one of the interesting things is here, and uh, I sort of mention this because people say, "Oh, the frost risk is declining." And that's true. Under climate change, uh, we're going to have less frosts. But the other thing that, that works sort of against that in a certain way is that with the increasing warmth, the flowering date of, say, a horticultural crop like an apple tree, the flowering date becomes earlier. So it's a bit of a race between the loss of frost and the earlier flowering date. So you have to be a little bit careful that... Um, that you, you, you don't consider sort of the, those other things that might also be happening under climate change, like earlier flowering and, 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 and declining frost risk. So um, I think in, in the future, we, we can do that. And we're working on other projects, in particular with NIWA, another Crown Research Institute, looking at um, opportunities across New Zealand that climate change will provide for new land uses and new crops. How does horticulture influence biodiversity? Oh, I think I think it uh, I think it adds it adds a lot. I mean, you can think of sort of um, if if we had sort of apple orchards scattered across the the landscape, you could see a rise of pollinators. Uh, one would hope that we would see a rise in bee populations, and uh, I think you know in terms of the the change in the biodiversity, certainly there'll be new vegetation types in there, and so there'll be new. Um, uh, insects and that coming in so that's on the one hand very good and on the other hand we have to be careful that some of those insects and and possible diseases uh, aren't a negative impact so we do have to keep a watching brief on how that biodiversity changes as we change the the the, the floral makeup of our landscape do you think farmers are aware of their environmental impact and do you think they are working hard to constantly review and improve their practices? Absolutely. Uh, I think the farmers are acutely aware of, of the impact that their farming systems have um, on the environment. Um, and this has, of course, uh, been high, highlighted and uh, the certain degree of anxiety uh, around things like the national policy statement for fresh water and the new um, essential fresh waters, uh, seeking healthy waters that are fairly allocated. So uh, in, in that aspect, I see farmers are wondering about their freedom to operate under new regulations that might come from those national policy statements on fresh water. Um, they're also keeping an eye on what might happen with a zero carbon bill and what would happen if, if we did have a realistic price on carbon and how that might affect their, um, their, um, the profitability of their actions. So there is, there is an option here, I think, for, is say, say, for example, maybe a river flat next to one of the many rivers across post-quake Kaikoura where it may not be possible in the future under regulations around water quality to um, have high intensity of animal farming, but that could be a fantastic opportunity for a horticultural block close to the river where the nitrogen leaching is not so high and the carbon emissions for the total farm might become less as some of that land uh, goes into high value horticulture. So I think farmers are acutely aware of this and, and um, to a person they, they want to do the right thing.
What are two exciting developments that are happening in the agriculture industry right now beyond what we have already talked about? Yeah, that's, re- that's really interesting. And we've sort of heard the phrase pop up. I think it's attributed to Winston Churchill that we should never waste a good crisis. Um, and, and, and so I think the crisis of post-Kaikoura um, sort of predates COVID, of course, but that, that crisis gave the community and the farming community in particular a, a chance to reflect on what is land for? What what is the best use we can put land for across a whole range of ecosystem services we might want from it in terms of the provisioning of the economic value right through to the regulating service of protecting water quality and stuff like that. So I think there has been quite a bit of introspection and thought put into what is land for. So I think now with COVID adding on to the top of that and and we as, 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 a, as an island trading nation dominated by agriculture saying, what is the best use of our lands and where might our future economy in terms of primary production go and, and what might our future markets be? So I, I think that's one other one. And the other one that I think is coming uh, coming through is that the whole thing around the level four, level three is that we've rethought the roles of supermarkets in particular, but also the food supply chain in general. So we're having a think about where might we go in terms of food supply chains, not only domestically for us, but food supply chains for a world that emerges out of COVID and a world that is emerging into climate change and and uh, what are the impacts, the opportunities, what are the risks as we go forward as a primary produ- producing trading nation with a much, much changed world. And I th- I, I'm, I'm the eternal optimist and I think there are many, many opportunities there. We just have to assess the risks and make sure that we go forward with sustainability in terms of our soils, our water and our carbon emissions. I thank you very much for your time today, Brent. Some great thoughts there. Kapai. Quite interesting work Brent is doing. And one of the things I like about this particular research, it is looking at different ways for farmers to diversify their income streams that supplement their traditional farming systems. And he also highlighted some opportunities where environmental outcomes would improve as well. Well, this week is traditionally a big one here in Canterbury. It is Cup and Show Week. And for the second year in a row, the Canterbury AMP Show, or the New Zealand Agricultural Show as it's known today, has been scrapped due to the pandemic. Hot dogs, horses, livestock, and the bear tent are all on hold for now. One thing that is not on hold is farming, the engine room of this country. Thank you, farmers, for all that you do. And that's all for me this week. Thank you for listening and catch you next time.